Amen. Uh, This week, as I have been reflecting upon uh, the coming of Advent, um, I've also been reflecting on uh, my ministry. And it is difficult for me to believe that it has been uh, almost seven years ago, if not a little bit more than seven years, from when I was entering my middler year of seminary. The whole first year was basically just a blur. Like, I didn't even know what was happening or what I was doing. It just was, I don't know, it was a crazy year. But as I went into my middler year, I began to go, okay, I've, I've got my legs underneath me. I, I know what is happening now. And I knew that I was about to be assigned to a field education parish. And I was really excited about that. And so when I arrived uh, back to school for my middler year, I was excited to find out that I was going to be assigned to St. David's just down the road from here. And so I began my ministry uh, really in the Diocese of West Texas. And I had come from a diocese um, that wasn't really big on camp. We had a camp and we went sometimes, uh, but it wasn't quite like we experienced camp here in the Diocese of West Texas. And so I was really surprised and thrilled to find out that not only did we have one camp, not two camps, but three camps. And so I was really, really excited about this. And in my first year here in the Diocese of West Texas, I had the opportunity to go to Duncan Park. Now, I've talked about Duncan Park before in my sermons, and so you're probably already well aware. But if it's your first time here, Duncan Park is a diocesan camp that is on top of a mountain in Colorado. And so I was really excited to go to Duncan Park. I loved camping and I loved hiking and I had done quite a bit, but I had really never done anything like what Duncan Park would be for me. And so I remember that first year driving up the mountain nearly two hours up from Boulder and then getting to the driveway and realizing that it was going to be 20 more minutes until we actually got to the camp going up that winding path. And I remember that first day realizing that there was no electricity there and all of the water was pumped in from a well and I was really just kind of taking in what the next week of my life was going to be like. And I remember that first night realizing that I had never experienced darkness quite like the darkness at 9,000 feet. And I remember walking out into the pitch black of the night and hoping that I wouldn't be visited by any unwelcomed guests as I walked to my little platform tent. And I remember listening to the rustling of leaves as I tried to fall asleep that night, praying that it was just wind and not one of the animals that I had been warned about earlier in the lodge. And I remember by the end of the night, I had four wool blankets on top of me and literally everything inside my suitcase, I had put on everything trying to stay warm. I grew up in Texas and Florida. My favorite thing, though, about Duncan Park, and this has not changed every single year, is a hike that we make from Duncan Park to Blue Lake. And I don't remember the exact length of this hike, but it's somewhere between five and seven miles. And I love this hike because you start out at 9,000 feet, but by the time you're at Blue Lake, you're somewhere at about, uh, about 12,500 feet. And you are really in kind of like a wooded area until you get right to the top, and then all of a sudden you burst out into just white ice and a huge blue lake and huge mountaintops. It's like being in like a Christmas village. Like, it's just beautiful. 
And I remember that first time that I went, I was so nervous about this hike because I didn't know what was going to be around the next bend or the next corner. Like all of it was brand new. Every single moment was unique and exciting. And I was excited about going back the next year. And I kind of thought that once you had seen it, you had seen it. But that's not always the way that journeys work. The next year I went back and we did this same hike again, except this year I knew a little bit more about what I was doing. I was more prepared. I was on the same path, but somehow the path was different because I had knowledge of it. The next year I went back and suddenly I found myself ahead of the rest of the pack, no longer needing the map for every turn. I now knew the way. A few years later, I went back and I was used to going to Duncan Park in August, late in the season when it is warmer, and I showed up in June, and I was surprised to find that this path that I knew so well this time had a lot of snow and a lot of water. And I remember the very last time that I made this hike, on one of the last days of camp, there was a retired Marine there, and he had a torn shoulder, and it was a climbing day, and he couldn't climb, and so I asked him, how about just the two of us? Why don't we make this little hike up to Blue Lake because this this family camp had not been able to go. And so we went and we found ourselves in snow first up to our knees and then up into our waist. It was really an amazing hike. The same hike that I had done so many other times, but this time made different. It's amazing that we can make the same journey over and over again, and yet somehow it is different each time that we come to it because we have different experience. Maybe we're in better shape one year than we were the year before. One year we are not knowledgeable at all, and now all of a sudden we have this experience. One year we have a map, the next year we don't need it. One year we're with a bunch of people and we're towards the back of the pack, and the next year we're there with just one or two, and we're feeling like real explorers. Some years the ground is dry and firm, and other years it is covered in snow and you cannot see the path ahead of you. There's a lot of different elements that can change how we experience a journey. This morning, as we gather here, we are also starting a journey together. A journey that many of us have made many times. We have done it year after year. And maybe there is someone among us this year, and it is your first year, or one of your first years, entering the season of Advent But if you do not know, the liturgical year is a journey, one that we go on each year and start right back the very next Sunday. Judith talked to us about it last week. The Christian year ended with a crescendo of Christ the King Sunday last week, and now here we are seven days later, and it is Advent 1, and we are starting the story over again. And I think the only mistake that we can make in this is believing that we have already journeyed this path and so there is nothing else to learn. But that's not the way that journeys work. Just think about when you get up in the morning, perhaps you're going to work or wherever it is that you go once you've gotten up. Think about all of the unknowns about the path that you take once you get in your car or on your bicycle or when you walk. You do not know what is in store. Each day, even if it is a journey that you have made hundreds, if not thousands of times, you do not know what you will encounter. It's what makes journeys beautiful. The unknown, the expectation of what we cannot imagine. 
the patience that it requires to wait and see what is ahead of us. This is what the season of Advent is all about. It is about expectation and about waiting. And we would do well to be reminded that we are not the first people who have waited on this journey. I want you to reflect upon the lectionary readings that we've read this morning. I know that you already know them by heart. The prophet Isaiah is living at a time where the people of Israel have been in exile. He and the people who he is living with have never really experienced Israel in the way that their great-grandparents experienced Israel. They are dreaming of a day where they will have sovereignty once again, where they will be returned back to the way that they feel like the land was promised to them by God, and yet this has not been their experience. And the prophet Isaiah is imagining a point in the future where the city of God will be lifted up on the highest mountain, and they will reside there. But not only them, all nations will stream to this place And when they come to the city of God on the top of this mountain and they gather around this place, they will learn the ways of God and they will forget the ways of war. And I think it should not be lost on us, this contrast, this comparison between the ways of God and the ways of war. And when these people have forgotten how to fight wars because they do not need them any longer, because nations no longer rise up against nations, they will gather there at that mountain and they will take their spears and their swords and their weapons of war and they will melt them down and they will beat them up until they can be used for plowshares and pruning hooks. And the weapons that they once used to commit violence against one another at this point will be used as tools for produce, and to provide provision for each other. It's really an amazing thing, an idea of the future that I think you and I still wait for today. The psalmist waits for something similar. The psalmist wonders and prays and, and, and waits for a time when Israel and the city of Jerusalem will be at peace and will have prosperity. And when we read these passages, we might go, well, that seems a little selfish, They're only praying for this really specific slice of land that they have some sort of responsibility for. And yet, if we understand the way that ancient Israel organized themselves in these concentric circles of holiness, starting out here in the wilderness or out here where where the Gentiles live, but moving into Israel and then into Jerusalem and then into the temple and then even closer into the outer courts, and the holy place, and the holy of holies, as you moved closer and closer to the center, you moved closer to where God resided. And if there was peace and prosperity in the center of the world, it made it possible for there to be peace and prosperity for everyone, everywhere. The dream of God is not attached to just one specific place, not just one specific people, not just Israel and not just for America, but the future that the psalmist waits for is a future where there is peace and prosperity for everyone. Then we read the words of the Apostle Paul who writes to the first century Christians and dreams and waits for a time when salvation will not simply be something off in the future, but something, an experience, a reality that is here and now in the present when the whole world is bathed in light. And then in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus tells his disciples 
that we cannot know the day or the hour. And I think about all the time that we have wasted throughout the ages of trying to predict it. This moment off in the future, this second coming, when perhaps the second coming is happening around us all of the time, every single day, and we are being invited to participate in it. My friends, waiting is part of the journey. And the nature of journeys is that it cannot happen all at once. A journey is more than just a single step. We can't just skip to the end. Waiting is part of it, and waiting is holy. And I won't venture to say that I know everything that is going on in your lives this morning. Some of you I know because you have called me, and you have talked to me about it, and we have prayed together. And I know some of the things that are happening in your life, but the truth is is that life is extremely messy. All of us gather here on our own journeys, and we are carrying all kinds of things, and we are waiting, some patiently and some of us not so patiently, on certain things to happen. And the gift of Advent is that we come together and we sync up all of our journeys, and we travel together not only with Christ, but with each other. And this is the comfort that I want for for you to take from this place today, is that you are not alone. You are being invited to journey with Christ in this great journey towards Easter because we are Easter people. But you do not make that journey by yourself. Look to your left and to your right. The body of Christ journeys with you. You are not alone. Life is messy, but you are not alone. Amen.